Hello and welcome to Deer Tracks. It's great to have you here in my neck of the woods as we gather for another episode of the Deer Tracks podcast. I'm James Kibbe, and this week our theme is resurrection. But before we get into that, I wanted to remind everyone that the Deer Tracks podcast is a place where creativity lives, where our longings, our delights, our disappointments, and our passions are breathed out, marking the trail of our journey. These are the tracks we make and the ones we follow to find the deepest parts of ourselves, our true selves. During each episode, you will hear echoes of the past, as well as current voices through the discussions about and performances of creative works. Our goal is to build community and inspire others in their creative pursuits, which is why we invite our listeners to submit their work for the opportunity of hearing it on a future episode or seeing it on our blog site, www.deertrackspodcast.blog. I've received a couple submissions recently that I'm looking forward to sharing with you on next week's episode. And the best way to stay up to date when a new episode airs is to subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening or enter your email address on our blog site to receive a notification when we post new content. And again, the address for our blog site is www.deertrackspodcast.blog. Also, if you enjoy the content of this podcast, Please leave a five-star rating and positive review and share it with anyone you know who will enjoy this podcast as much as you. I appreciate you, our listeners, and I would love to keep our audience growing. And if you'd like to ask me a question or share with me one of your creative works, you can email me at james at deertrackspodcast.blog. And now, on to this week's show. All around us, we can see the promise of resurrection. Just look at the trees budding where there once were dying leaves. Or how about the tulip sprouting from its bulbous sepulcher underground? Our eyes look out on a landscape that was stripped bare and made lifeless by the winter season, now springing to life, new life. Many of us celebrated Easter a week ago, and so resurrection is a topic we heard a lot about outside of the Easter bunny and chocolate eggs. Resurrection is a very difficult concept or idea to grasp, even for many Christians. To help illustrate this, I wanted to look briefly at the story of the disciple Thomas, who has borne the moniker Doubting Thomas for many years, unfairly in my opinion. Uh, But the story is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 24 through 29, to give you the, the reference there. To give you sort of the Cliff Notes version, Mary Magdalene, John, and Peter find the tomb empty on the first day of the week. Jesus first appears to Mary and tells her to tell his disciples that he is ascending to God the Father. That evening, then Jesus appears before his disciples, but Thomas wasn't there at that time. And when the other disciples told him that they had seen the Lord, Thomas replied, 
Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger in the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Then, eight days later, Jesus appears again, and this time Thomas is there, and he sees for himself that Jesus has risen. Now, three times in the Gospels, Jesus brought someone back from the dead. And Thomas, being one of the twelve, was there for at least two of them, I would imagine. It's one thing to witness Jesus bringing someone else back from the dead. It's another thing to think that he could bring himself back, especially after what he endured. Now, even though our world is full of resurrection, it's hard to reason. Thomas's struggle in belief is our own struggle. We like happy endings, but they're hard to see beyond the grave. Maybe our problem is that we tend to be too rational, accepting only what makes sense to us. Part of the wonder of miracles is that they defy our understanding. And the greatest miracle of all was performed that Easter morning over 2,000 years ago. As I mentioned, Thomas does see Jesus and is stirred to deeper faith. And I wonder if nature is trying to stir us in that way as well. Does each tulip burst open with an alleluia? Do the daffodils laugh with the French Easter greeting? L'amour de Dieu est folie. The love of God is folly. The world is charged with the grandeur of God, as Gerard Manley Hopkins writes in one of our poems for this episode. And this grandeur is unfolding before us now, outside our doors. The question is whether or not we are willing to look for the mystical beyond the material. To help us get our minds there, I wanted to start off with a poem by William Wordsworth titled, My Heart Leaps Up. Here it is. My heart leaps up when I behold a rainbow in the sky. So was it when my life began, so is it now I am a man. So be it when I shall grow old, or let me die. The child is father of the man, and I could wish my days to be, bound each to each by natural piety. That was My Heart Leaps Up by William Wordsworth. Rainbows cause us to pause whenever we see them in the sky. They're magnificent to look at. As Wordsworth points out in his poem, this amazement at a rainbow doesn't change from childhood to adulthood. And the rainbow itself continues, as it always has. What's interesting about Wordsworth's poem is the last line bound each to each by natural piety. This natural piety is the connecting point between our childhood wonder and our adult amazement. But what exactly is behind it? Piety is a term that means reverence and devotion, usually in a religious sense. So Wordsworth could be referring to devotion to nature, especially makes sense with the word natural before it. 
But natural could also mean something that is innate, something that's been programmed into our DNA, so it comes naturally. Wordsworth's heart leaps up at the sight of a rainbow because it communicates to our souls the call of something beyond ourselves, that there is a resonance that's deeper than our logic. This resonance is heard in our next poem, which I hinted at earlier by Gerard Manley Hopkins, titled God's Grandeur. And here it is. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil. Crushed, why do men then now not wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod, and all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil. And wears man's smudge and shares man's smell, the soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. For all this nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things. And though the last lights off the black west went, O oh, morning at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with ah, bright wings. That was God's Grandeur by Gerard Manley Hopkins. One of the things I like about Hopkins' poem is how he describes humanity's attempts at trying to conquer nature. No matter how much damage we have inflicted, nature has a way of coming back. Even across our smog-filled sky, the rainbow stretches and stirs the natural piety we've tucked away, like flowers growing through the cracks in the asphalt. As darkened as our souls may be, O oh, morning, at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with ah, bright wings. This picture of the Holy Ghost brooding over the world points back to the beginning before the earth was. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 reads, And the earth was a formless and desolate emptiness. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Hopkins is seeing God's Spirit still hovering, still brooding over creation, as it did when creation began. This time it is the work of new creation that the Spirit of God is involved with. Both generative and regenerative work is being accomplished, and nature is bearing witness to this through its own resurrection. Now within the discussion of resurrection lies a paradox, which we find in the last line of our next poem written by John Donne, titled, Death Be Not Proud. And here it is.
Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. From rest and sleep, which but thy pictures be, much pleasure, then from thee much more must flow, and soonest our best men with thee do go, rest of their bones and souls delivery. Thou art slave to fate, chance, kings, and desperate men, and dust with poison, war, and sickness dwell, and poppy or charms can make us sleep as well, and better than thy stroke, why swellest thou then? One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more, death thou shalt die. That was Death Be Not Proud by John Dunn. The paradox I was referring to, in case you didn't quite catch it, is that death itself shall die. To our rational sensibilities, this seems illogical. How can death die? Death, to us, is where all things end up at one time or another. Marble stones bear testimony to this. And still, we read in the Gospels that the tomb was empty. However illogical this paradox may seem, it's good news to a world dominated by death and sorrow. Going back to Hopkins' poem, we live in a world that wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. But as we continue, we read that there is a morning coming, a spring where what was once destroyed will be restored, and more than that, made new. This hope of new creation is found in our final poem for the episode, written by Christina Rossetti, titled, A Better Resurrection. All of the signs we see in nature and the natural piety that is stirred within us invite our hearts to echo back Rossetti's prayer that while we may not see the bud or greenness now, the sap of spring will rise, and we with it. Here is the poem. I have no wit, no words, no tears. My heart within me like a stone is numb too much for hopes or fears. Look right, look left, I dwell alone. I lift mine eyes, but dimmed with grief, no everlasting hills I see. My life is in the falling leaf. O Jesus, quicken me. My life is like a faded leaf, my harvest dwindled to a husk. Truly my life is void and brief, 
and tedious in the barren dusk. My life is like a frozen thing. No bud nor greenness can I see. Yet rise it shall, the sap of spring. O Jesus, rise in me. My life is like a broken bowl, a broken bowl that cannot hold one drop of water for my soul, or cordial in the searching cold. Cast in the fire the perished thing, melt and remold it till it be a royal cup for him, my king. O Jesus, drink of me. That was A Better Resurrection by Christina Rossetti. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Dear Tracks podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. And if you have enjoyed the content of this podcast, please leave a five-star rating or review wherever you are listening. If you're listening on our blog site, and again, the URL for that is www.deertrackspodcast.blog, then leave a message in the comments section of this post. Or you can send me an email to james at deertrackspodcast.blog. You can also send me one of your works to be heard on a future episode or seen on our blog site. And April is Poetry Month, so there is no better time than right now to try your hand at writing poetry. A good place to start would be to write two good lines that rhyme. This is called a couplet. From there, add another couplet and so on until you feel the poem is complete. And even if you don't necessarily want to have it shared on our uh, on an episode or on our blog site, you certainly can just share it to, uh, with me. And again, the email you can send it to is james at deertrackspodcast.blog. Well, until our paths cross again, this is James Kibbe saying, see you next time on the Deer Tracks Podcast. <laughs>